You're listening to All the Backlist, a weekly show about books that aren't new. I'm your host for the week, Trisha Brown, and this is episode number 413 and a half. I hope you and yours are well, and I, for one, am delighted to be back with you. I have talked before on this podcast about picture books and how much I enjoy them. I will be honest, I have a pretty extensive collection of picture books aimed at children in my home. But it's only been the last maybe five or six years that I've started to explore picture books for adults, or as they are sometimes called, graphic novels, graphic memoirs, that kind of thing. I have to admit, that kind of book can feel a little less accessible to me because I have a hard time paying attention to both the words and the pictures, let alone how they're meant to work together. Yes, I know I sound ridiculous, but maybe some of you can relate and are in the same boat. Uh, Anyway, as I have explored a bit more, I've gotten better at not just accidentally ignoring the art, which has been my problem in the past, and I've started to find some graphic novels, some graphic memoirs that have really stuck with me and kind of pulled me into the medium in a way that I don't think words alone necessarily would have done. I'm actually going to tell you about a few of them, which you probably figured out since that's why we're here in just a minute. Today's episode is brought to you by National Geographic Books. The Cave is the incredible memoir of Imani Balur, a young doctor and activist who ran an underground hospital in Damascus, humanizing the enduring crisis in Syria. The only woman to have ever run a wartime hospital in Syria, she saved many from the atrocities of war while having to face the patriarchal conservatism around her. Amani Balor is a game changer. Listen, she will be remembered as one of history's greatest. She's a passionately committed humanitarian, and she is determined to help others escape the horrors that she survived. Make sure to pick up the memoir, The Cave by Amani Balor and Rania Abuzaid, for a memoir that expands on the 2019 Oscar-nominated film by the same name, which documents her experience running the hospital, shielding children from horrific sarin attack, losing colleagues, trying to employ more women in the hospital, and eventually leaving and becoming a refugee. So make sure to read about this amazing woman. And thanks again to National Geographic Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal. So Arthur Casimir is a criminal mastermind and collector of secrets. Her prestigious tea room transforms into an illegal bloodhouse by night because obviously it does. It caters to the vampires feared by society, but when her establishment is threatened, she has to make a deal with an alluring adversary. So Arthi hatches a plan to infiltrate the sinister, glittering vampire society known as the Ethereum, but not everyone in her ragtag crew is on her side. And as the truth behind the heist unfolds, Arthi finds herself in the midst of a conspiracy that will threaten the world as she knows it. So this is the highly anticipated next project from the author of We Hunt the Flame. It's got a fierce female lead. The story is fun and fast paced while also exploring significant themes like colonialism, prejudice, betrayal, and self-acceptance. I mean, it's got vampires and heists. Make sure to check it out, get into it, and thanks again to A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal for sponsoring this episode. All right, we're back. And I will start by saying there are definitely some graphic novels out there that I really appreciate. Maybe someday we'll talk about those. But one thing that I have found is that graphic nonfiction tends to connect with me a little bit more, or at least in a different way. There's something about the way that a really talented artist and storyteller can use all of the tools at their disposal, not just the pictures and the words, but the colors and the frames and the font. And for me, it just adds a 
a kind of dimension to a to a true story. And while there are many, many happy, upbeat graphic nonfiction titles out there, I will just kick things off by saying I'm going to talk today about a few that use the tools I mentioned before to tell stories that are both broad and personal, and in some cases, difficult and tragic, but all of them contain some elements of hope and family. So stick with me. I'm going to start with a title that might be most familiar to you, which is Persepolis by Marjan Satrapi. The reason it might be familiar to you is that it was adapted in 2007 into an animated film that was fairly high profile, won some awards. But the autobiographical book is based on Satrapi's experience as a child in Iran and how some of her most formative years intersected with the overthrowing of the Shah, the Islamic Revolution, and the war with Iraq. The subtitle of the book is The Story of a Childhood, and it genuinely feels like it's exactly that. The book opens with her playing with her friends. Early on in the book, she is also convinced she is the last prophet, etc. There is certainly humor in the book, as you can tell, um, but there's also tragedy and grief, especially as the story moves along and some friends and family members start to be arrested and executed because they are on the wrong side of the ruling regime or because Iran is at war through much of the story as well. And although the massive events happening as... Marjan is growing up are sort of omnipresent. They kind of provide this context for the story. The grounding element of the book is a lot more personal. You understand that the larger elements are happening. You know, they do a lot of narrative around them and it's clear, but the specific impact of what, of how those events are impacting this family is really um, the central part of the story. It certainly doesn't keep you from understanding the broader tragedy and loss. It's more, kind of following that old adage about how the more personal the writing is, the more relatable it is. It's also clear that this family has a tremendous amount of love. Her parents seem to have a really great relationship. And Marjan is given more freedom than I would have expected to rebel and to go out and protest. The book has some, I think, intentionally jarring juxtapositions in chapters that focus on the mundane aspects of being a teenager, things like the denim jacket she wants or the concert posters she's trying to get her parents to buy for her, with all of this war and tragedy happening around her. And on my initial read, I kind of had to wrap my mind around figuring out how something that could be so dark could also have moments of lightness and humor. But the reality is, I think that's kind of the point. Life is all of those things. And this is a book about a pivotal part of one girl's life. I will warn you that you will almost definitely want to read the sequel to this book as soon as you are done with the first one. So maybe put that one on loan at the library as well. Just a suggestion. The next book I want to talk to you about is Mouse by Art Spiegelman, which you may also have heard of because it's been in the news for being banned in recent years. You may have also heard of it because it won a Pulitzer Prize when it was first published back in the 80s. But more recently, you would maybe have seen it in the news because of the banning. Mouse is another graphic memoir, and this one moves back and forth between two storylines. There's this present-day storyline of the author trying to get his father to tell him about his experience during the Holocaust, and then the other storyline is the father remembering and reflecting back on that time, and we follow sort of that story. I will note the book was first published in 1986, so when I say present-day, that's what I mean, obviously. Like Persepolis, the focus of the book is really narrow. We're focusing on one family and at times one person through a global event that is 
so big and so broad that it's hard to even sort of comprehend the scope of its horror. So again, like Persepolis, the fact that it's so personal makes the story, I think, a little bit more accessible in some ways. So for example, it's clear in the present day scenes that Art is pretty frustrated with his father. And to be fair, his father seems pretty frustrating. But obviously that doesn't invalidate his experience. It just shows that he's human and shows, I think, a little bit about the impact of this tremendous trauma that he lived through. There's also a significant um, amount of discussion of Art's mother's mental health and the way that her illness impacted the way that the family could hide, for example, or not during the Holocaust. The uh, decisions around the art in the book also really connected for me, which, as I said before, is saying something. I sometimes have trouble with the art. But in particular, I think the signature decision, the thing you might recognize if you see this book, is the decision to portray the Jewish people as mice, the Germans as cats, and the non-Jewish Poles as pigs. It makes sense in a practical way, just in that you can understand the interpersonal dynamics between people a little bit more easily, you know, if you see a mouse talking to a cat, etc. But there is also a comic within the memoir that's written that tells sort of a sub story, kind of a parallel story. And in that comic, the humans are portrayed as humans. And when you see that the effect is a little jarring, I think it drove home for me what the impact of, of these choices that Spiegelman has made what they really kind of mean for the story. This one, I will be very honest, it's a tough read in a lot of ways. That probably won't surprise you. But I think it's also a really important read. And I think telling these major stories of these horrific things that have happened in our history in as many ways as possible to help as many people as possible understand the scope of that horror is really important. And I really admire the way that Spiegelman used this particular format. Okay, I know the books I've talked about so far, while excellent, are a little heavy. Not exactly your beach reads, and I get that. I do want to talk about one more that while it also deals with important topics, in this case, immigration and being a refugee, it certainly does have some moments of darkness. I think the beauty of it, and I'll talk more about what I mean by that, but I think the beauty of it is so captivating that it feels a little lighter. And that book is called The Arrival by Sean Tan. The Arrival is essentially a book about a man who leaves his family and his homeland in which, you know, his family is facing what is clearly an imminent and dangerous threat. He leaves that behind to go to a new place and try to establish a new life so that his family can eventually come and join him. The book is entirely illustrations. There are no words. And the word that I keep coming back to when I'm trying to think about how to describe it is stunning. It is a thing of beauty, not just in the fact that the drawings are stunning, which they are, but it's also a really gorgeous rendering of the story of this person and what his experience is like as a stranger in a strange land. Everything is unfamiliar. The animals are unfamiliar, the language, the furniture, the money, even the games. It's an experience that would be altogether terrifying for a lot of us, but we can tell how determined this main character is to establish a life so that his family can join him. You can feel his discomfort and frustration, sometimes grief, but you can also feel the joy. There's just so much emotion in not only his story, but also the stories of the other people he meets, and in some cases, befriends along the way. I've just found the art itself and the way it is deployed to be really remarkable. Sometimes the entire two pages of the book are dedicated to a single moment. Other times, 
Tan uses a, a series of small frames on one page to convey a full scene or a full experience. It's almost a poetic story, or at least that, that's how it struck me, despite not including a single word. I honestly sometimes just stare at the pages of this book because the illustrations are so, not to use the word again, but I'm going to do it, just absolutely stunning. So that is what I have for you this week. Links to all three books are, as always, right there in your show notes. Thanks, as always, to our sponsor. A huge thanks as well to our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink. And of course, thanks to all of you for listening. For more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or you can just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. You can find a list of the books, as I said, that I mentioned today in the show notes, either in your podcatcher or by visiting bookriot.com slash all the books. And remember, if you're a fan of all the books and all the backlist, and you want to show a little love, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We genuinely appreciate the review, and it truly does help other book lovers find us. If you want to find me, mostly I am on Instagram at Trisha Haley Brown. And until we meet again, please take good care and happy reading. <laughs>